Welcome to Pressage, and it's your girl, Mac. And <laughs> I'm going to be on the air with Luis talking about his uh, historic repatriation from Peru back to the U.S. and the supernatural in just a moment. So hold on. Yay! I'm on the air with Louise. Hi, Louise. How's it going? What's up? I thank you for agreeing to do this interview with me. Um, I'm excited because I know you have lots of cool things to say. So I'll just get started. Um, I want to know: Do you want to talk to me about your um, historic repatriation uh, to the U.S. from Peru? where you were serving with um, the Jesuit Volunteer Corps um, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. I'll go into briefly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it was uh, an interesting project that I was really just, once you mentioned it, I was like, oh, this is, yeah, I, I'd love to be on here. So thank you. Um, but uh, no, I think it, I guess it is historic. It's, it's very strange uh, that we even had to be repatriated. But long story short is that I was serving in, in Peru uh, for two years, um, just volunteering uh, at a local yeah. parish uh, about 40 minutes from Cusco. And we were asked to leave because of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, now, at that point in Peru, I think we had around 50 cases. Uh, so it wasn't really cause for so much panic, or at least it didn't seem in the moment. Yeah. Um, but the president had just announced the postponement of schools and and that meant a delay in the social programs at parish. So yeah, we had to, uh, I guess we were just thinking about it, like, well, what would happen if we actually got called back? And then yeah. lo and behold, a few days later we did, uh, or we were asked to leave. And then, so we booked our flights for, uh, so we got the news, rather, on Friday the 13th, March. Ooh. And on Sunday, uh, the president made an announcement saying that all borders will be shut down immediately, stay-at-home orders are mandatory. And yeah, it was it was pretty crazy to hear that on a mm. Sunday at, what was it, 8 p.m. Um, and we just didn't know, okay, so is that like starting tomorrow? Or is that, do we have any leeway? Yeah. Uh, because our flight was on Tuesday, um, what was it, uh, the 16th. So, yeah, we were really in shock. And then half an hour later, we found out that they gave us one day leeway. Uh, and, yeah, it was just pretty hectic you know, yeah. moving around trying to deal with that. Uh, and ultimately, we weren't able to get a flight. So we ended up just being stuck in Peru for a bit for an indefinite amount of time mm. uh, until... We found uh, a number of different sources, or I guess the U.S. Embassy yeah. actually stepped in, the U.S. State Department stepped in and uh, um, chartered flights for us to leave uh, yeah. the country. So it was pretty hectic, uh, but that's what happened. Um, and yeah, we ultimately left, I believe it was the 29th of yeah. March. So 
after hearing the news on March 15th, uh, literally exactly two weeks later, that's when we were leaving. Yeah. Um, but there, oh, you know, up to now, now there's around almost 9,000 people. <laughs> it's almost over 9,000 people <laughs> that have been uh, repatriated uh, mm. to the U.S. So it's crazy. Yeah. I'm glad you're safe. I, I actually, like, remember seeing... Um the story on the news like um they had some representatives from the state department like um kind of like talk about it how what they were trying to do to get the volunteers who were in peru back home safely i was like oh my goodness so i'm glad that you're safe um and thank you for sharing that with me because i know that was that's a lot to um process but um like I said, definitely a historic moment that you were part of, um, and there's a lot there's a lot there to unpack. Um, what? And you did mention, um, yeah, you know, on my show, I love to talk about the uh, supernatural, <laughs> and um, one thing that you mentioned um, was that there was a blood moon while you were in. Um, Peru and I wanted to know if you wanted to talk about that a little bit I thought it was interesting because we started our service out and there was like a super blood moon do you remember in our orientation in 2018 <laughs> on that on that long lone dark and lonely night yeah oh my god yes. to be honest I can't say I remember that yeah. Well, the one in 2018, um, but it was just, uh, it actually happened in, I think it was the day I got back or a couple of days after I got back from, from Peru yeah. that the moon was like that. I think it was, I'd set an alarm for some, for, for some reason. I think it was just because, you know, when I was in quarantine and, you know, Reddit was just recommending different things to me and I was like, oh, you know, tonight's going to be a, a, you know, a blood or a red moon. I forget what it was exactly. Um, and at what time, but it was, it was pretty surreal. Um, just like a, a way to kind of look outside and appreciate nature. Yeah. Um, in terms of the supernatural stuff, I'm not really, uh, personally don't really know too much about that. Uh, I find it interesting, but I don't really participate or, or believe too much in it myself. Um, yeah. but it is, it is just an interesting, an interesting thing to, I guess, um, follow, uh, and I guess interpret or see how people interpret it. Yeah, I think it's cool. I can appreciate your stance and um, I think it's uh, cool. Me personally, I'm like, wow, signs and wonders. It was a presage. <laughs> you start with a red moon, you end with a red moon. What does it mean, <laughs> universe? No, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I, it's just like a, a cool coincidence. It's like, wow, that's that's beautiful and interesting. But um, I remember growing up, <laughs> some people would have taken a very different biblical approach to those mm. things, like a more of a end of the world stance. Uh, I knew some. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> I knew some people my age who would have been like, and the Bible says. There will be a moon filled with blood when Jesus returns, and it will be the end of the world. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no, my mom's kind of like that. Oh no, so I, I understand that. Um, yeah, for sure. It's just, it's a strange, strange time in general. So yeah, 
uh, I guess, yeah, it's just uh, different signs just kind of come up and I guess people interpret them, you know, yeah. how, how, depending on their, you know, how they, how they grew up, how they were raised or what their belief systems are. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, in a way it was kind of like the world was ending, you know, yeah. like one world, one chapter of, uh, of life, um, you know, it was kind of, uh, coming to a close and, you know, gives life or gives way to, uh, to new life. So, yeah. Yeah. You know what that makes me think of? That is really cool. There's this book called 1Q84. It's like um, by uh, uh, Haruki Murakami. He's like this really popular Japanese writer. And it's like his, like he does like magical realism and like fantasy writing. And he writes, um, it's like his take on 1984. And it's like, it's a huge book. It's like a thousand pages. And it's about this assassin who enters a parallel universe (laughs) and she's trying to find this guy that she knew as a kid and they keep like missing each other and their their parallel universes have like um, some striking similarities, but they seem to not be able to get on the same track. And there's two moons. That's what brought me there. There's two moons in the universe she's in and she's like freaked out about it but it's kind of cool <laughs> but they're not red they're just two of them no there's two in his world damn it huh. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a stretch but you know i think i think we can we can make the connection <laughs> that's my adhd there you go no let me stop no uh, <laughs> i'm like i see a wow. clear connection <laughs> No, no, it's fine. It's fine. There's this one. There's this one film. Uh, it's called La Misma Luna, yeah. which in Spanish means the same moon. Oh. Uh, it's a beautiful film. I forget. It's a bunch. Of, it's a couple of famous people are in there, but it's basically like this story about migration um, and how the son had to, or the the mom, I think, was in in the United States working yeah. somewhere. I think it was in Los Angeles, and the son was in in Mexico, and. You know, every night, or I think the, a big thing was like, you know, whenever you want to think of me or whatever, you know, at this time I will be looking at the moon, and it's the idea of like, oh, we're we're all looking at the same moon. Yeah. It's so interesting that that's one thing that we can all look at. Um, and I guess it was like, I guess you can relate it to just the weird strangeness <laughs> of this time. Yeah. Uh, being being what it is, and I guess everyone kind of being able to observe that. Yeah. I've actually yeah. seen that movie. Oh, really? Yeah, I saw it in Spanish class. It was really good. I was like, oh, I love this movie. <laughs> I've, yeah, I feel like I've seen it really twice. Uh, the little boy was cute. Oh, my goodness. What was... Um, I wanted to know, what was it like uh, living in Peru as an American Latinx? So, um, since we're both on the spectrum... Although mm-hmm. different different parts of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. But um, do you want to talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, it's just uh, well, I guess it's important. I guess even in the label or the term American mm-hmm. Latinx, uh, you know, emphasizing the American part. Yeah. Uh, because I think once once we actually, you know, at least in my experience, once I stepped into another culture, I knew that I was a guest, you know, regardless of 
you know, what I identified as mm. it was going to be a new experience for me. You know, it was going to be a new experience for whoever I was encountering to encounter me um, in this new space, you know, that they know is familiar. So I definitely felt very American when I came in. Mm-hmm. Um, but slowly, you know, um, and actually, even with the language, I still felt very American. Um, but slowly with time, you know, the Spanish improved. Uh, my understanding of different cultural norms improved. And um, I was kind of welcomed in mostly through sport because I, I actually I really like soccer. So I was able to relate to a number of the guys um, that way. But um, with with other groups, it was it, it took a little bit more uh, more time. Yeah, uh, because I think just the culture is much more shy and reserved, timid. Um you're typically not everyone was like that. Sometimes they see you as like, oh, who's this dude? You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think. We are, we are, we are. I'm recording again. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> it's fine, man. It's just, it's, things just happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that kills me. Okay, thank you, Luis. Um, but you were t- um, you were talking to me about um, being Latinx in Peru, and you were I I feel like you were um, you were explaining. The, how um, you are able to connect with people there and um, oh goodness <laughs> well it's fine it's fine yeah so essentially it's it's that um, I guess like initially it was just the American shock uh, yeah. like just it's just very the privilege and, and even just knowing that one is different like um, it, it comes up often you know yeah um, and I look differently so yeah um, and so, it, yeah, and so it was just very interesting to see how I adjusted even after a year. And uh, I think I was saying that, like, even the Americanness or the privileged side just kind of comes up randomly. Um, and usually more often when I was in Cusco, because we were about 40 minutes from Cusco and Andoa Elias. Yeah. Um, and so, like, there, like, exercising privilege and, and, and uh, was just more, it was just, it was almost like you can access it. Yeah. Uh, much more easily especially like in the touristy parts of Cusco like you know I have my like backpack what's it the, the Os- an Osprey like red backpack yeah you know and no matter what I did like you know I could, it's like they they it's just like I was a tourist when I was there yeah even though like I know the typical range for prices of different products that were there uh, it was just interesting how to integrate that um and also just like access to different goods and and and, um, and yeah, just services. Like we had a Starbucks in Cusco. Yeah, like, this is great. You know, and, and like a mall, and most other other placement sites. You know, that Jesuit yeah. the Jesuit Volunteer Corps had aren't like that. No, um, you're right. Yeah. It's just art was, and so it was a tough time, kind of like um, figuring out how to be, and that's in different situations in different places. But for the most part, like being in Andoy Lias, the, the home community where we lived. Yeah. Um, it was it was it was fine, you know, after some time. 
but um, you know, ultimately, we, we are always going to be different. So I don't know. Yeah. It was just it was pretty it was pretty interesting to to kind of experience, and it makes me wonder like, what am I going to bring back now? Mm. Um, but the thing is, it's it's a lot harder to bring back things to just a, a li- the limited space of our homes. Mm-hmm. Um, like like I can understand my mom a little bit more um, and the kind of struggles and sacrifice she made. Mm-hmm. Oh uh, yeah, so I'm so like my family's Salvadoran, um, so from Central America, mom and dad. So they have a, they come from like a culturally like from a Latino background or Latinx background, but. Um, just a different country, yeah. different foods, different customs and, and education. Um, so it's just different. And so for me to go on my own, it was like kind of really exploring what that means to me. Um, and, you know, while I'm here, it's just kind of like I understand my family more. Yeah. I want to talk to them. I want to I want to see them. But, you know, obviously with quarantine measures, yeah, I'm trying to be responsible. Um, that's not really possible. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. That is cool. That was something I think I can um, relate to. Not in the same way, um, but I did feel that weird um, feeling like there were people I, I had things in common with when I was in the Pacific and not being able to overcome the American identity. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I that I understand some um and that was that's really interesting i think um mm-hmm. do you do you want to talk about your uh special relationship <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean during the process uh, my girlfriend had also gone uh to peru she wanted to do two-year service and so um she was actually um not that we in our in our with our NGO, we don't really decide where we go, yeah. per se. We're given a placement, an offer, and we have to accept it within two days of, of getting that. Yeah. Uh, after an extensive like discernment, a number of interview uh, sort of process to kind of see like where you'd best fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it was just by happenstance and convenient. Like I guess for us, it was a great convenience given that our relationship had started a couple months before mm-hmm. that we were both placed in Peru. Not given she was in Takna, Peru, and I was in Andahuelias. So Takna is like a border town um, near the border of Chile. Yeah. Um, and I'm in Cusco. It's much more central uh, of Peru. So we were about a 17, 18-hour bus ride away from each other. Mm. That's like, if, of course, like if you go kind of straight bus, and that mm. usually doesn't happen. Yeah. Usually an overnight bus and then, you know, another six, seven hour bus um, at a different time. So the commutes were tough, but um, yeah. yeah, so it was just, it was pretty convenient that both of us were there. Um, we got to see each other periodically, like every three, three to six months. Yeah. Um, with the longest stretch being six months. So that was pretty tough, but it was nice to have someone uh, who kind of understands uh, you and gets it. I think that was really helpful for my own sort of processing of emotions and mm-hmm. and things that were happening to me um, and her too to kind of hear her perspective on community yeah how she was living out the, the values um, and so it was really it was really nice to kind of have that throughout oh that's awesome oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and now I want to know this is something I ask a lot of um, mm-hmm. the people the the five people that I interview. <laughs> 
it's all kinds of people, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, let me stop messing with you. I want to um, know, like, what is your favorite childhood memory? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, like, it's funny that you asked that, because uh, now, like, that I'm here, I'm helping my mom clean out, right, a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, just, like, our attic, uh, and all the, the china, like, we have this china that has, like, so many glass like I swear we can probably been finding and pulling out old photos and old bins and things like that like she's literally kept so much from my childhood yeah since my conception even the idea of my you know and so there's a lot of stuff that that she's kept and so she's bringing up a lot of different things and she's actually showing me a lot of hilarious pictures and moments of me like actually disillusioned and disappointed as a child like, it was really funny she showed me this one uh spider-man picture like when I quote unquote met Spider-Man and it was just obviously just a guy in a costume. Aww. And like I immediately recognized that. I was like, this isn't Spider-Man. Like, and I told my mom in front of him or, you know, whoever was behind there um, that like, oh, this isn't Spider-Man. Like he doesn't have big muscles or anything like that. You know, I was like five or six. And, <laughs> and the guy who's in this or the person, I'm pretty sure it was a guy, but like in this in the spider-man outfit was just like nodding like shaking his head no like oh man he's so disappointed like what's my life come to um so it's just funny that she's sharing a lot of those moments and like me with my uh my hilarious outfits that my mom just put on and i was just like being a kid i was like yeah this is what i just wear so I, i don't choose what i wear so it's just funny to to kind of see that but favorite childhood memory yeah um <laughs> i don't it's okay if, if yeah I, it's mostly yeah i was just like i find it hilarious now that i have so many moments of disappointment as a child <laughs> <laughs> like that's what i find those are like my favorite memories like oh, oh okay so like i really just like enjoyed the pool so much yeah um, because my mom always used to take us to the community pool and then it's it's just like always a sad memory after it's like i hated the pool after like i was almost like i tried going to the deep end because all my friends could swim yeah and like i almost drowned i mean i was i was fine but like it was like just a traumatizing moment and then Aww. i just didn't go to the pool afterwards but um Aww. i mean i really enjoyed the pool beforehand um but yeah i definitely need to learn how to swim <laughs> <laughs> yeah Oh, and it's just, I, it's just like I think I remember actually my mom put it, put my brother and I into swim lessons and I think I was 12 or 13 and all the other kids were like five and under Aww. and it was just me trying to learn how to swim I'm like, I basically know how to swim is what the swim instructor said he's like you don't really have to be here but uh. <laughs> like, uh. it was just really funny it was just really funny to, to hear him say that because the pool wasn't even that deep yeah um but yeah, I was just, uh, I just like the, the pool and like, uh, water parks. I like going to Dorney Park. 
Oh my and, goodness. And, and all that stuff. So <laughs> yeah. that's such a funny memory. And it's so that's he's so wrong. Like telling someone you basically know how to swim when clearly they they don't know how to swim is a cop out. I'm just like, bruh, teach me so I can <laughs> save myself if I you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. basically knowing that's yeah, I think I just needed specialized teaching, like because of my my age, I was so different than like all the other kids. Yeah, uh, just because I was like much larger and older than them, <laughs> so it was oh just funny God. that the oh. guy. I mean, he was a what? Like it's just the YMCA. I'm just he's like yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, and like you expect as much, you know? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, yeah, I have bad swim camp memories. Oof, I remember running and like, you know how you go and you think you're going to dive, but you like lay out flat and then you go smack across the surface of the water and it hurts really bad because you're supposed to like dive instead of like that. Yeah, (laughs) just dumb stuff like that. That's so funny. Uh, Oh my goodness. I have... Always getting like a, what's it called? Water up my nose. I hated that. I just didn't like pools. It's just like so tough. And like old men who just don't care anymore. You know, (laughs) they just let it all out there. I mean, good for them. That confidence does not need to be shared with me though. Oh, you're funny, man. That's hilarious. Okay. Oh, I want to ask you. What is the spookiest thing that's ever happened to you, sir? Spookiest? Yeah. Uh, Spooky. Well, um, I, this is weird, but my um, my step, like I said, I'm not really too much into superstition and things like that. Yeah. But my stepdad, when he recently moved into to our house, he told me that um, he had like quote unquote the evil eye and just like oh the, pan- the pancakes uh, like just bread and stuff doesn't rise uh, when he looks at it I guess I don't know why that's yeah. just the, the specific type or whatever of evil eye that he has um, and he told me that like his cousin or whatever was able to like kill small animals just by looking at them oh my. they would die like within a couple of days and I was just like all right you know and just being all doubtful yeah and one day one saturday morning i was like making pancakes for for the family uh saturday morning you know back when saturday mornings yeah were saturday mornings um and i was just making pancakes and then i had to go to the bathroom so bad and i was like all right walter he's my stepdad i was like uh can you can you just watch this he's like uh, i don't know it's not gonna rise and like yeah okay don't whatever uh and so i he just watched it and i went to the bathroom came out shitty pancake and i was like what is going on and it's just like you know yeah the first pancakes always a shitty pancake like yeah. it's just a trial yeah kind of pancake um i expect it almost now that the first one's gonna be bad yeah um but yeah it came out like that and i was halfway through the process and i was like that's weird it should be heated up right yeah uh, and so i go make a pancake fine then i uh, my mom calls me so i'm like all right can you watch this thing kind of like also it's like a little experiment like is it gonna be a crappy pancake again yeah Lo and behold, it's a shitty pancake. He's like, I told you, you got the evil eye. And I was like, hmm. yeah. I don't know if you're just putting bad vibes into that. Or <laughs> like, do not rise. I don't, I don't know. I have no idea why the pancake just doesn't turn out right. That's but incredible. it was just interesting. 
That's so, that's incredible. I didn't know that you could have an evil eye for uh, bread. That's kind of, it's like, you know, yeah. if, if, if someone makes him mad, he can be like, I'm going to make sure your bread doesn't rise. And you're gonna be yeah. sad. <laughs> no, it's like my, my mom makes this uh, like Salvadoran. I call it like comparative. It's compared to cornbread. Yeah. Um, but it's really good. And Walton just doesn't go in the kitchen when the when my mom is making it because he doesn't want it to not rise. Oh. So it's something that's fairly consistent. It's just funny. It's just humorous. I like like it. apparently he can't visually see it. If he visually sees it, problems. Oh. So I don't know. I don't know. If, I guess that counts as a spooky. <laughs> no, it is. Strange I like it. Your bread will not rise. Ooh. <laughs> That's a serious threat. I mean, get a baker across the street. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he should never be on the British Bake Off. None of that. He's not allowed. <laughs> maybe he should. Oh, then he'll win. Up. I feel like they're looking for a contestant like him. He'll win. <laughs> Everyone around him will fail. <laughs> Oh my goodness, yeah. that's incredible. And you do a souffle. Oof. Oh! <laughs> that's that's perfect. Oh, can you imagine how sad the person with the souffle would be? They'd be like, it's always perfect when I make it normally. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's the evil eye. The evil eye. I like, you I know, he could be like in a Disney movie with, with like, and he could be a character. And he could make the souffles fail. That would be great. I think uh, I was watching Chris D'Elia's uh, comedy special that just came out. And he was talking about Marvel um, and, like, the superhero world. He's like, there are definitely people who get, like, crappy superpowers. Like, not everyone can be a Wolverine, you know. Not yeah. everyone can be Storm, you know. Um, having these epic things. Like, I'm sure there's guy, there, there are people that... Uh, or the mutants who who get like really odd specific superpowers, you know, it's like <laughs> like finding uh, I don't know what he said, but it's be like, oh yeah, I know, I know when uh, what's it called when you're cold. I just I just have a, a, a sense. I don't know. <laughs> Start shivering. It's just like such a useless. I mean, I guess it's helpful, but it's oddly specific. And yeah, I'm sure there are people who, who just didn't who didn't luck out with their with their superpower. That's incredible. <laughs> I love that. That's great. Oh my goodness. Uh, and then I guess, what would you consider to be lucky? Do you, I, I know you said you're not into the supernatural, but on the same wave, just like, do you, if you did believe in things being lucky, what, what would you think would be lucky? You know? Oh man, I, I believe in luck a lot more with like board games. I'm just so frustrated. I know it's, I mean, in a way, it's probability. It's just so frustrating. Yeah. When like, you know, uh, like the beginner's luck kind of just kicks in. It's like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm winning. <laughs> it's like, what's going on? You know, I taught you the game. This is your first game, and you're just like annihilating everyone. Yeah. Um, and so, like, that's when, when I really am like, oh, this person's lucky. <laughs> or oh, in sports too, with, especially with basketball, when when a ball gets tipped in or, or like a shot somehow makes it, you know, makes it through. So I like playing a lot of defense. So yeah, I went like there's only so much you can do on defense. So sometimes the person just applies enough force in a in a, in a certain movement or in certain 
like position yeah and it just goes in or it banks in and i'm just like well there's not much i could have done yeah you know he there was just i guess the winds were in his favor the humidity was right i don't know <laughs> um, there's just a lot of factors that go into that beautiful moment of me losing <laughs> so, <laughs> and that person just, just having an awesome or like that person just having an awesome play yeah there are a lot of factors that go into it i'm like well that's that's when i believe in luck i'm like wow that's that's you know? cool i like that that's hilarious that beautiful moment of me losing <laughs> yeah i mean i appreciate like there's not much i don't get really too mad about it unless yeah. like there's money involved or things at stake but usually it's just pride that's at stake so i'm fine that's um, good yeah that's good sportsmanship hmm. yeah how, do, how, how about you me oh yeah because i am a little i'm just a tiny bit superstitious <laughs> Capital as, S. Yeah, I know, right? As you can point. tell, as you can tell from my super <laughs> you get the Spanish exclamation there. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just like, yes, just a teeny bit superstitious with all of my voodoo beliefs. No, but um, I think it's uh, uh, luck is one of my favorite things, and I don't know. I feel like anything can be lucky, especially things that are typically seen as being unlucky, like black cats or the number thirteen or uh spilling something or just I, you know all the stuff that people are like oh that's bad luck i'm like no it's good <laughs> and then all yeah, the, the things spill all my orange juice <laughs> <laughs> slap my mug off yeah yeah throw so cats like, at me yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i'm just like all the everything's lucky a little bit um you know uh yeah Oh my goodness, that's you're funny. Throw cats at me. That's right, except for if they scratch. I don't want to be scratched. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd be terrifying. I, I feel like if there are a lot of things I wouldn't mind catching, but live animals are tough. <laughs> you're funny, man. Okay, I have one more question for you. Um, what is a post pandemic hope or dream you have for the future? Um that people care about the environment yeah <laughs> um i don't know i think there's a lot of cool positives with like regards to the environment that are going on um i mean like oil prices are going down economy's tanking you know yeah. people are dying but mother nature's taking care of itself and i think it's a sign for me like i do believe like nature has its own recourse for taking like i think there's a place for disease and pestilence and natural disasters it's like the earth just kind of taking uh control um and like re uh, finding its own equilibrium yeah um again it's like yeah you're humans you're pouring oil into my my water you know the polar bears and uh <laughs> and i don't know i think it's it's a it's a beautiful way to look at it and it's also for me it's helpful to kind of see positive during this whole yeah uh, like pandemic but um Really, I, I do see it as like a sort of purifying experience. Um, and I think like you can see it with people saying like, oh, look, the dolphins are in Venice. And I'm like, that's great. Oh, that's um, nice. Or like different, you know, I think it's it's cool that like the waters are clear, but I'm just, I, I'm hopeful that 
people will stop paying it or like pay attention less to those negative things about death toll numbers and infection yeah. rates and things like that and look at like oh yes the, the 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 world is a better place you can see the los angeles skyline first time in ever wow um you know and i don't know and places like india were small and, and china you know asian countries where there's just like a lot of population a lot of cars where because of all the quarantine measures you can see and appreciate nature in a new way and i think even with like being closed and, and pent up like like i went on a run before this um and i think just the number of people outside like walking and, and yeah. doing exercise and like also seeing like the comorbidities of of coronavirus like that 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 factor into one's one's own death i think people will take their health and diet and exercise much more seriously but also nature just appreciating the yeah. good old outdoors yeah um, so that's my hope is that people will start caring more um but i think there's too much money currently in in, in uh keeping things status quo yeah. for now unfortunately but you know i can be hopeful yeah Oh, that's a great answer. And you've been a great <laughs> radio guest with so many great things to say. Wow, uh, Tony the Tiger. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, right? Let me stop being a, a fool. But, great. Yeah. <laughs> but Have you seen Tiger King? Tiger. Oh, no. I haven't, you oh, know, my best, man. my best friend recommended it. She was like, I think you'll like it. And I'll, it looks real bizarre. <laughs> it's the most ratchet, <laughs> like reality TV that has captivated so many. I'm thinking like, you know how you can customize your credit cards? Yeah. Do, yeah. Do... I'm thinking there, there's this one meme that's going around. It's like, I'm never going to financially recover from this. Yeah. I want to get that image onto my credit card. Ah. I, I got to do that. You have to watch it. There's too many memes. There's too much, too much culture in the show. <laughs> I want millions get through quarantine, and it will help you too. Thank you. I will look at it because it looks truly bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what is that? Wow. Thank you. I I will definitely watch it probably today. <laughs> Honestly, honestly, tell me how it goes. I think you should do like a live reaction or something. Oh my goodness. Because it's so preposterous. Yeah? Oh. You think, this can't get any worse. And then it does, and you're like, what? (laughs) You're funny. Um, We can keep talking offline, but do you want to say goodbye to the podcast audience of five people? Yeah, no, I, uh, I hope y'all keep listening to Kristen and her uh, very interesting and engaging uh, podcast. Um, and that they, I don't know, just just, uh, just keep exploring uh, different topics, different things to talk about, share, and listen um, with all you lovely five people. <laughs> plus, plus, it's plus. You got, I'm sure this. I'm sure we'll get at least one or two more. But uh <laughs> That's so Great funny. things start out, you know. So I gotta start somehow. Oh, it's a wrap, y'all. See you next time. It's been Mac. <laughs>